1: So that discipleship, they're coming to a point if they say, I want to learn who Christ is. Oh, he's the Savior. He died and he rose again. I'm a disciple in the sense. I'm a learner. Now, I want to go beyond just having facts. I want to put my fact into a faith where I now trust him. Now, it continues on beyond after trusting Christ, not to get saved or to stay saved, but because I am saved, I remain a student of the Lord. So I learn more about now. What do I do with him being my Savior? How far does it really go? I have to tell you that... Carol and I got married when I was very young. Not that she was very old, but I was very young. I was 19. Kids, if you're listening to this right now, do not get married when you're 19. What I can tell you is that it was not a shotgun wedding. We were pure as we went. We had the blessings of all the family members. And uh, that's not telling you how smart our parents were, but it is to tell you we had the blessing of it. I will tell you that when you're a 19-year-old getting married you have a vision of what marriage is going to be. Something like um, Prince Charming and Snow White kind of a thing. Well, I'm going to tell you the hardest year of our marriage was our first year and then a couple of years in between. Last June, you all were so kind to give us our 45th wedding anniversary. I tell people we've been married 45 years. We've been happily married about 40 years. Now, the good part is that's the early part of that. Now, why am I telling you that? I had to learn how to do this. Carol and I still yearly... We'll engage in a seminar, a teaching, a DVD, a CD, a book, something out there to rekindle where we are to help us to strengthen our relationship. And that's what being a disciple is all about. But we're talking about a disciple of Christ. So where does it go a little bit further than that? So what are we to do? We're to make disciples. Now we're going to see the how. How do we make a disciple of all nations, all people groups? And yeah, we can go all over the world. That's a mission thing. But right now it's to your family and friends. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that word baptize means to immerse them. We could say a lot about immersing them in water, etc. I I could go there. I want to just make it extremely simple. Later on, if you want, I don't mind dissecting this in the Greek and the English and what it meant and historically. But let me make it extreme, oversimplify you want that person to be marked as a disciple. So in your margin, when we when we baptize someone, there is a marking, there is a public identification that that person... Ooh, I was going to say come out of the closet, but you can't say that anymore. So they, they made public their faith, if you know what I'm trying to say. So something went on not to get saved because you made them a disciple. Now they're going public that baptism part. But it doesn't stop there. So they're identifying. I think the identification is water. I think it's more than water. I think it's identifying with other Christians and probably by extension from here as we go through the New Testament, it's getting united with some kind of a local body for accountability and growth that has spiritual gifts working in the body, uh, spiritual leaders that are qualified, that the Word of God is being taught, a lot of other things as well. But all of that is the marking, the immersion, being immersed in water, being immersed in Christ by fat salvation, being immersed in a body of believers, etc. So. Let's go a little bit further. Beyond that, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Then it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So if I'm going to help that person, I want them to come to faith, but I also want to teach them God's word. And so that's uh, what we do. That's how we do it, baptize and teach. But now, why do we do this? And let's look at the last part of that. It says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, to know that when I'm doing this, I am never, ever, ever alone. Now, folks, I don't play golf. I, I, I admire those that are so good at golf, and they play golf, and they, they, that's, that's what they do a lot, and they, they're serious about their golf game to improve. But I can tell you that I would embarrass any of you that would invite me to, to play golf with you. But I would certainly feel a lot more comfortable if I'm getting ready to hit the golf ball. And while I'm getting ready to hit the golf ball, I had some famous golfer reach around me and hold my hand how I'm supposed to, you know, hold it like, I don't know, how do you hold it with your little finger here and your thumb over there and you swing it and whatever they do. I wanted him to kind of almost take it and do it. Now, there is no perfect earthly illustration to explain to you that Christ is with us. He is in us. He is with us wherever we go. All I want to let you know is that you are never alone as you engage your family and friends in evangelism. He is right there. You yield to Him. You allow Him to do it through you. You concentrate on Him. It's all about Him as you present this message, including the results as you leave it up with Him. Now, that's our motivation. Now, I have five minutes to go through the rest of this. And you think, how in the world is he going to do that? Let's find out. All right. Ways that we can influence others outside the faith. Let's go now to Colossians chapter 4. We have the motivation, the love of Christ, the privilege, and the command. Now let's see how we can do this. It's going to be in our thoughts, in our thoughts. Now I say that because at the beginning of uh, verse 2 here... I should see really at the end of verse 2, Colossians 4 2, it says, with an attitude of thanksgiving. An attitude is in your thought life. So it's going to be an attitude of prayer. What are we going to pray for? An open door. An open door. Now we learned last week we pray for the person, pray for all men that they may come to faith in Christ and go on to become a fully obedient worshiper of Christ, the Bible says. And then, secondly, we also pray for boldness. We already learned that. But in this context, we're to pray for an open door. So we're saying, Lord. I now realize that I need to engage my family and friend, etc. Now, Lord, will you somehow supernaturally give me an open door? Now, watch. We can wait years for that door to open, and that door has been thrown wide open, and we didn't recognize it. So I want you to know this is a prayer that's biblical. This is a prayer that Jesus will answer. So when you pray this prayer, I want you to pray expecting that that door will be open, and we need to be alert to when that door creeps open. You know that it's going to happen. We have to be ready for that door. We have a cat named Chloe. This this cat should be earning us money. It knows how to open that screen door. And all it takes is a little bit of a crack. And that cat, I don't know where it's in the house, knows that somehow... Carol didn't close that screen door. No, Stan didn't close that screen door tight enough. And he'll come down and he will get that door open. So when I'm downstairs, because that door is right next to my study desk, because my study is right in our living room there. And so I'm always checking that door to see if it's open because I don't want to have to go through. Where's Kalloe? You're going to go get Kalloe? I don't have time to get Coloe. Just let God get Coloe, You know, whatever. So I'm watching that door. That's how I need to be watching for doors of opportunities that God gives to me. Then I need to pray for the message to be clear. And when I say that in the context, he says, praying that I may make it clear. So he's saying, Paul is saying, will you pray that I will make it clear? Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that the writer of most of the New Testament, not all of it, but most of the New Testament, I think Luke wrote more than Paul did, He still, that great soul winner Paul, not only asks people to pray for him to have boldness, which tells me has a propensity to be a coward. He says, pray that I'd make it clear, which means he has a propensity to share a message as much as he knows it and he's written it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he could still muddy it up. So do you have a prayer partner that you'll say, I'm going to meet my family. I'm going to this event. I want to share. Would you pray that I will present it clearly? Don't assume that we can do it all. That's a prayer of humility. It's a thought of humble mindset. I need you, Lord. You open the door. I'm here for you. I'm serving you. I'm doing what you want me to do. I need you. Number two, in our talk. So we have it in our thoughts, but we also have it in our talk. So, so how we speak. Look at the passage again. How do we speak? It says, to speak forth the mystery of Christ. That means with confidence. It doesn't say to speak the mystery. It says to speak it forth the mystery of Christ with confidence. With confidence. Have you ever been around a person who tends to be very passive, very quiet, very much, until you get into kind of like an argument, and you say, we went Thursday, and they say, no, we went Friday. No, no, we went Thursday. No, no, it was Friday. No, Thursday, because I thought, no, no, it was Friday. You ever notice people like that me so passive until they know that they're right, that they're right? okay. And that's what I'm saying here. When we know that we're right, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, we're confident in that, then we need to speak it forth. Listen, folks, I do get intimidated when I'm around smart business people, CEOs, doctors, physicians, people that are just... Until someone said, Stan, those people that have had more education than you have, they've done more, their name is in the paper, they're famous, and you're nothing. You know what they said? They said, you know something they don't know. And I said, really? You know Jesus Christ is your savior and you know what it takes to get to heaven and you know that they need that and you know how to talk to them about that. So actually, you know more than they do on the most important thing of life. So, sick them. You know, that kind of thing. And can I tell you, you're the same way. You might not be able to speak the lingo of the professional world, but you can certainly speak the lingo of the word of God, the gospel, confidence. And the next is that I may make it clear again as I ought to speak. Circle the word speak. As you have your Bible there, circle the word speak or speech and see how many times it's found in that one passage alone. And when you do, you need to do it correctly and clearly. I could tell you that right now the heat index is rising quite rapidly and I want you to know that we need to egress this edifice expeditiously. And some of you are saying, what in the world was he saying? I'm saying, the building's on fire. Get out of here now. Now, I'm correct on the first time. But I might not have made it as clear as I did the second time. So you want to do it correctly, but you also want to do it clearly. The next is speak with compassion. Remember, you're telling someone that they've been wrong all their life. They believed in works or something else. You're telling them they're wrong, and you don't want to do that. You want to do it in a very gracious way. So it says, let your speech always be with grace. In context, the gospel. But in a bigger context, it's every time you speak, be as gracious as you can. And I'll tell you, if you're gracious in your speech anywhere, you'll be especially gracious when you give the gospel. Then it says, speak with conviction. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt. And there is that bit of urgency. So when I say conviction, maybe in the margin, write the word urgency again. It's an urgent message that they need to hear. So we go from the prayer to the speaking to the acting. So we go to the conduct. How do we walk? How do we act? So how do we do that? We act with wisdom. It says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom would be know how to open a conversation. Know what to say during the conversation. Walk kindly. Know the timing when you share the message. Know some of the techniques when you share it. Know some of the tone when you do it. Learn these things. Just like Carol and I might yearly need to have a reminder on our marriage and our relationship, I think all of us would be good to go back and take another evangelism training class. Read another book once a year on evangelism. How to witness to the cults and things like that. If you need some reference books or websites, I can certainly give them to you absolutely free. Anything I can do to help you to walk in a Christ-like way wisely around those who don't know Christ for the purpose of engaging them with the gospel. And with intention, it says toward those outside the faith. Underline the word toward. Intentional. Don't wait for them to merely come to you. We have to engage them. We have to knock on their door. So you start with a secular conversation, talking. You move it to some kind of a spiritual conversation that's non-controversial. So they're talking about spiritual matters and they're comfortable. Then you end with a salvation conversation, so you intentionally go to them. You do it promptly, making the most of the opportunity because you don't know when your last opportunity is going to be. You've got to do it promptly. You've got to do it as soon as you can. How important that really is. I told you about Moody Bible Institute, D.L. Moody is the founder of that. What many people don't know, that he preached a message. And the message he preached was a week-long series on what you need to do with Christ, Monday night. What you need to do with Christ. What you, And then the night before the last night, he announced to his entire church, the school wasn't built yet. And he said, tomorrow night you come back, you pack this place because I'm going to tell you what you need to do with Jesus so you can have the full forgiveness of sin and have eternal life in heaven. Come back tomorrow night and I'll tell you then what you need to do with Christ. He released them into the streets with clanging bells and the smell of smoke and the Great Chicago Fire. In reading the biography of his songman, Ira Sankey, Sankey grabbed whatever he could and some of his family that he could find, grabbed a boat and paddled it as far out in Lake Michigan as he could. As he turned it around, he watched the entire city burn to the ground. Two years after that, Moody was able to rebuild the Moody Church He stood before the crowd that was much smaller with tears streaming down his eyes. He said, I have you now together and I want to confess my greatest sin. My greatest sin was that that night when I told people tomorrow night, come back and I'll tell you what you need to do with Christ so you can have eternal life. I never saw that crowd again and I promise I will never stand before people without giving them an opportunity to trust Christ. Now, God knows... Others miss it. They may get it the next time. We all know that. God's the author of salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. But if some of you have ever wondered, why does Stan go so long? Because I have to give the invitation. I've got to give the gospel. I never know who will be here that doesn't know Christ. I don't know who might be listening that will not know Christ as Savior. And I don't want to stand before any crowd that I can suspect that at least one person may not know Christ. So I'll give the, I may not give it with all the bells and whistles. But I'll make them understand that we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. It's not by good works. It's by faith alone. And you need to trust Christ now and trust Him alone. That's the promptness of it because we know we'll never get another chance. We need to act with answers so that you will know how you should respond. And, of course, we respond with grace. We've already been taught that. But at the same time, with the answers to their questions when they ask you. And let me just uh, share this with you. This is so simple. I wish I had a much longer time. But listen. Some of you are afraid to give the gospel because you're afraid they're going to ask you some questions like did Adam have a belly button because he didn't have a mother and you don't know how to answer that. I don't know how to answer that either. The point of the matter is there's only about five major questions that unsaved people will be asking you. Once you know the very simple, logical, and biblical answers to those five, you can rest assured you have all the weaponry that you need to present the message of the gospel and have answers to their questions. It is not that hard. And if you do encounter someone asking you a question and you don't know the answer to, then just do what I do. Make up an answer. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I say, listen, let me write that down. What's your name and phone number again? I'll get back to you. But here's what I do know. Jesus loves you. Jesus already died for you. He's offering you right now eternal life if you'll trust Him as your Savior. And then I do go back and I find the answer. And when I do, it gives me another opportunity to share with him, but something else happened. It could have been the first time he met a real honest Christian that didn't make up an answer or bluff his way, but said, i got to study a little bit more, but I'll get you that answer. But here's what I do know. I go right back to the gospel. Who knows? I pray that would be the case. And if you don't know and you can't find the answer, then call Pastor Dennis at two in the morning, okay? He's usually home. Now call me or Carol. The last is we need to act with thoroughness. It says to each person. It's interesting how in... Colossians, it says in other places in Colossians that every man, every man, every man, every man, every man, that we need to do it to each person thoroughness. Don't let uh, people go by without that opportunity. Whether you carry with you some gospel tracts that you can share, maybe that's not your style, maybe you'll leave it as a tip, maybe it's some way that you'll invite them to a meeting, but in some measure, just think about others if you want to influence them for Christ. I promise you, folks, you and I we can come up with dozens of reasons, why and how and this, and what about that, and we'll get so caught up in the minutia of well, i don't want to do it i don't want to mess it i don't want to you know that we 'll forget that maybe sometimes we just have to plunge in folks to get the job done here's our questions for reflections, and then we 'll be done. It says uh ask yourself this question: Do I know at least five family members or friends who are unbelievers if you do say uh-huh, uh-huh What kinds of trials and challenges do these unbelievers face in life? And you could put them down. What are they? Do I believe I can have a role in maybe sharing Christ with them? What role could I have? What specific things can I do in order to share Christ with them? Could I have them over for a meal? Could I begin a a spiritual conversation with them? What can I do? Lord, I want you to use me. You're going to be with me. We're doing this together for thy glory. What kinds of barriers are in my life? that could confuse an unbelieving family member or friend in his or her search for the truth. What practical things can I do to overcome these barriers? Maybe I've got a broken relationship with a family member or friend who knows Christ. First thing I need to do is repair that broken relationship the best that I can. So what might it be? Well, folks, I spoke this message to only two types of people, not men or women, not local people, not off-island people. I spoke it to those who know Christ and those who don't. This message was specifically designed for those who already know Christ so that they would love you who do not know Christ and know how to biblically, lovingly, compassionately share that message with you. And now you've already heard the message all through this message already. That going to heaven is not by anything we do. We're already separated from God. That to go to heaven, we'd have to be perfect, but we're not. We're sinners. No good deed I do, whether it's social good deeds or spiritual good deeds or whatever, I can't do any good deed to make God happy so that he'll take me to heaven. In fact, all my best deeds are filthy rags. So what do I do? I come to him as a broken sinner, admitting that I can't do anything, but I believe that Jesus is the Lord. He's God. I believe that that Jesus died on the cross... And he rose again. And when he did, he took my sin on himself. And he's offering to me eternal life. And so now I just come to him and I say, thank you, Lord, for doing that for me. In a sense, when I'm doing that, I'm saying, Lord, I'm trusting in you and you alone to give me eternal life, to forgive me of sin. And you have eternal life just like that. He says, these things have I written unto you to believe in the name of the Son of God so you could know you have eternal life. Don't put it off. There are many people who died in automobile wrecks who knew if they were to die in that wreck, they'd have never gotten in that car. They just didn't know, and we don't know either. So trust Christ now, since we don't know when our heart will beat its last beat. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, we had a big bite of the apple today because I needed to finish this so we can launch into our wonderful study of the Book of Romans. But today, this was tremendous material. That literally can change all of our lives. And if our lives get changed, then we can really influence those who are outside the faith. Now, that line of lost people has grown perhaps thousands of miles longer since I began this sermon. And perhaps more of your family and friends would have shown up in that line, not knowing Christ. Can you see their face? Can you hear their giggle? Can you remember the last thing you did? The last conversation? The last email you swapped with one another? And yet, if they were to die while we were hearing this message, they would have died without Christ. Now, it wasn't so much because we didn't tell them. God knows those who will be His. But we are responsible for doing what we can when we know that we can do it and how we can do it. And today, folks, I think there's plenty of biblical truths, loving truths, compassionately given, for all of us to be more faithful in getting out the gospel. So folks, between now and next week and the week after, let's begin to build relationships with others so it's not just throwing the gospel in their face. It's genuinely caring for that person and then presenting the gospel as soon as we bridge that, that gap. But first of all, is there anyone in here today that's ready to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? To say, yes, I heard about Christ. I know Christ out there. But now I know He died for me. And so now I'm going to trust Him as my Savior. He is the Savior. He is never an a Savior. He is the only Savior. But now He is my Savior because He is saving me. He is preventing me from perishing in a Christless hell. And giving to me heaven and an eternal relationship with Him. Is there anyone in here that's ready to say, today is the day that I trusted Christ as my forever Savior? If it is, I'd like to pray for you. Now, I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward. I'm not going to mention your name in my prayer. I'm going to ask you, because the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you'll slip up your hand. And that uplifted hand is a silent way to indicate to me that you've already trusted Christ as your Savior. You're just letting me know that. So when I pray for you, it's already after the fact. I'm just welcoming you into God's family. I'm just thanking the Lord for you. And I'd like to do that. I'd like to know that this message and the word of God touched you today. And today was your day. So with no one looking around, if today was the day that you're ready to trust Christ as Savior, and you'd like for me to know, without saying a word, would you slip up your hand right now so I know that today is the day you trusted Christ? Is there anyone at all? Put your hand up real high so I can see it. All right, Christians, the brothers and sisters in Christ, how many of you know someone that we mentioned already, a friend, relative, associate, or neighbor who needs to know Christ. And you'd like for me to pray with you in a general way for those people to know Christ to save you. Would you raise your hand? Every hand should go up. Mine is up. I'm going to a family reunion and there are some extended family members that need Christ. But now let me take it a step further. How many of you would like to have prayer because you want to be used of the Holy Spirit and the Lord to influence them? but declared in the correctness of the gospel from what you've learned here today. And so you're asking for prayer that the door would be open and that you would make it clear when you'd share with those people about whom you raised your hand. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand right now? Amen. My hand is up. I urge you to get a copy of today's message and listen to it at least once a year to remind us of these truths because there were so many. We were blasted with a fire hose today. It's like going to Disney World again and again and again. Each time we go, we see something new. It won't be different. It'll just be fresh and new for where you are. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would give us eternal life by your grace and mercy and not by our works. We thank you that when we have eternal life, we will never lose it because you keep it for us. And then, Father, we thank you that this relationship with you is not just fire insurance, but it is an intimacy with the Creator God, our Abba Father, And that, Father, now you have given us as our father and your son and daughter a responsibility, a privilege, because of your love, the opportunity to share the gospel with other people. And I pray that we would this week realize that it's a whole lot more than what sales they have on at the grocery store or all the drama on our job at work or all the problems that we might have with some illnesses or finances. And that's not to marginalize or minimize all that confusion and pain but it's to raise our consciousness that the real issue is the glorification of Christ through bearing much fruit. And we want to do that, Lord. So thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That we will do it here and we'll do it globally for thy glory, in your name, amen.